this gladiatorial fascination that we have as people it's fucked up man feeling bad about it makes sense but at the same time like you're like how is you know how is so and so going to kill this person and she smartly brings up the idea of like well if you make friends with anybody else at some point they're gonna have to come up against each other and kill each other i don't know what that is in humans and like it's that animal side of our brains that people love seeing this but i i do think that some people went and saw hunger games and were like I just love when they kill each other and like yeah. that's, or, or read it. And that's like what they walk away with is I love the parts where they kill each other. Welcome friends to episode 291 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm writer Luke Elliott. And I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And this week we discuss Suzanne Collins' 2008 novel, The Hunger Games. We're back to movies. We spent some time covering TV shows. Our favorite little projects are these film adaptations. Do an episode on the on the book. Do an episode on the film. Um, classic. And then also we're going to something that I think is a, a project that we've been that's been on the radar for a long time. I know we say this a lot, but the Hunger Games. Like, of course, if you're doing an adaptation podcast, you're going to eventually cover the Hunger Games, right? Have to. Yeah. This this feels like it was in the that era of YA like being the biggest thing in the world we it went like Harry Potter and Twilight into Hunger Games and there are a few others in there that just like I mean that audience was so uh hungry for these stories and I think yeah. they still are but I think that this was like a, a golden age for that well audience. you're touching on a, I think uh, you drill it down to even more specifics like YA is is definitely big. It has its own ebbs and flows as a massive genre, but it's still hugely popular. But there was a specific period, like mid 2000s to early 2010s, where YA dystopias were having a big moment. Yeah. And The Hunger Games is definitely like the forerunner of those. There's like the Ma the Maze Runners uh, books, I think. There's, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know them all. Divergent. It was never something I read a ton of, but I was always aware of. I have read this book before. Um, I think that's another reason why we haven't touched on this quite yet. Is it something I've read before? And I think you've also read? Yeah, I have. I remember reading at least the first two books when these were coming out. And this is like right around the time that I was I was in high school or graduating high school. It hits so hard for that demographic. Again, it was like that Twilight demographic, the Harry Potter demographic, and it was everywhere. It was they were the biggest movies of the year. They were releasing, you know, yeah. basically annually. And honestly, this one had, I think, some uniqueness in the way that it was really violent and shocking and, and like surprising in that way, doing something in a space that I typically thought of as more like kiddish yeah which i think ya does get that rap obviously it is for young adults but that that's YA demo i think spans up to basically adulthood you know right when people become 18 19 so seeing one like this come in and be like look how crazy dystopian this is where there's there's some pretty significant violence in it in, in a way that you wouldn't see in like a harry potter uh, maybe you'd see it a little bit in a twilight <laughs> I don't know. I haven't read enough Twilight. Uh, we just covered our first Twilight stuff earlier this year. I mean, there's massive topics there about just like the nature of YA and how there is a ton of crossover readership. There's tons of adults who continue to read it. Um, there's also a large section of the population that pushes back against YA. Um, you won't be surprised to hear that like a lot of the criticism about this book are about how it's poorly written and oh, it's so cheap and like, oh, it's nothing's described well. There's no depth to it. Um, and there's a lot of this criticism leveled at a lot of YA um, by people who see it as like a lesser genre than, you know, they're comparing it to like 1984 and like all these classic dystopians, uh, you know, stuff by Ursula K. Le Guin and like 
stuff like that where it's like that's not really what this is trying to be yeah so i think in some ways it's fairly unfair um also this book is clearly um aimed at young women so once again you get that same twilight problem where uh, a lot of society doesn't like that doesn't like books that are that young women like so um yeah pretty sexist in nature kind of stuff right right but but also the the love triangle nature of the storytelling in this and the and twilight there's a lot of tropes within this overall dystopian uh setup there's a lot of these tropes that that are in there that are that are now hallmarks of ya i'm not like a, a historian of that genre enough to know when certain tropes actually became popular and like how saturated the market was with these like uh, young adult love triangles at the time this came out. I'm not really sure. Um, maybe if you know more, let us know. But um, to me, it's like uh, one of the prime examples of it that I think uh, from now, like from this onward, a lot of people look at Hunger Games and look at Twilight and talk about the love triangles. The thing that stood out to me, though, is that like uh, maybe this was um targeted towards women but like i read it as a young man you know like yeah. i said basically high school age and i enjoyed it because of, there's the this premise that i think draws people in it's this idea of all these different districts and they're fighting they're forced to fight and then reading it this time i'm getting a totally different read because i'm more mature and i'm looking at like the state of the american government and and that sort yeah. of thing and and kind of drawing some comparisons that i maybe wasn't when i was say 16 that Suzanne Collins is getting at. It's good to have that, even in maybe some fiction that people feel is more approachable. I think it's good to have maybe some of these harder topics and some of these metaphors baked in. Uh, and it's always fun to see these this group of possible rebels, I guess, in this book. They're still kind of yeah. just like dealing with it and they're they're building up to a possible rebellion. But you can feel that like their tensions are high and that um, you know people are just being, the, the class system that's set up here is just so unbalanced and it's just ready for uh, upheaval. I want to put a pin in the whole concept thing because there is a bit of a controversy around this project um, and, and that's from longtime fans of the movie and uh, novel Battle Royale that came out of Japan that uh, predates this movie. Um, there are a lot of very adamant people online who are quite angry with Suzanne Collins and, cl and make claims of... Um, you know, plagiarism. Um, I'm going to put a pin in that. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that. Um, but I think what you're also touching on is, well, outside of this being YA, it's dystopian. And there's a lot of debate right now between dystopian and utopian fiction. Um, there's, been a, there's been a big push, I've noticed, in across really all of the genre spaces towards utopian fiction. Um, and I think there's, you'll hear a lot of people make the argument of, we kind of live in a dystopia now. Everything's depressing when you look at it online. You, you're, you're, we're living in a police state in some ways, right? And so I don't want to read about situations where it's even worse, which is often what these dystopias are. Um, I'd rather read about, show me a world where we figured out a lot of these problems and, we, and there's a utopia, right? right? Uh, Star Trek is a, is a famous example of a utopian fiction where you can still have drama and stuff, interesting things happening, but the society that it's based out of, off of is a utopian system. And they're fighting to keep that system in place, whereas a lot of dystopian is the opposite. They're trying to, you trying know, to overthrow over, it. overcome the power, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think this is a little bit of an interesting uh, debate we can have, just talking about the natures of, of utopia versus dystopia. Um, I have a novel I'm querying right now that is definitely a dystopia, and it's something I thought about a lot. And, and um, I... I've seen the argument put forth and I agree with it that both kinds of fiction operate actually in similar ways in the sense that um, they're kind of inverses of each other, but with a similar goal. 
um, one utopian fiction shows the ethos of the author at, in the society being portrayed. It's like, this is what the author sees as a utopia. And in dystopian fiction, it's the opposite. This is the opposite of the ethos of the author. The author clearly doesn't agree with what is being set up. And then the whole story becomes about, yeah, trying to overthrow it or find some manner to fight back or, or what have you. Um, but both of them, there's like morality. There's, there's a lot of um, thematic depth to it where there's, there's sort of a mission and a purpose behind writing those books. Um, and you can definitely see that here. But I'm curious for you, like, how, how do you feel about dystopias versus utopias? My, my tastes change as time goes on. Uh, I think when around this time period, I was really interested in dystopian. How different a world that someone could survive and live in could, could be from our own. This is like a bleak version of escapism and utopias are a comforting, uh, yeah. it can be comforting look at escapism. I think it depends a lot on the story for me and like the, the thrust of the story. I, I don't think I'm like necessarily partial to either. I would say I used to be. I used to be way more into dystopian uh, fiction. There will occasionally be this like meta commentary. Like in this in this story, the people that are like in power, they're like comic villains basically. They're like hilariously over the top, overdressed. They have these showings that they have that completely out of touch. And I think that that dystopian angle is is always cool to look at because I feel like that's maybe closer than some people think to our to our own uh, real world. And I, maybe it, in, in times people need that reminder in their fantasy as well. There's there's a little bit of a saturation problem that happened for a while. And I think that's why we saw the big push towards utopias. I, I'm not someone who who tends to say like this one subgenre is the way and what we should be focusing on. And this is a, a, a moral good. And the other thing is a moral bad. Um, and, and I've seen some of that where people are not only um, saying they're tired of dystopias, but actually start saying that, like, all this dystopian fiction is going to lead to dystopias. It's like putting it's like putting it out there as like the only way forward and it's making people cynical. Um, I, I think there is uh, sometimes a tendency in in criticism that I see, at least online, for people to start to look at stuff as like, People are only ever going to read a handful of books and uh, they assume uh, if you only ever read a, you know, a, a few dystopian novels, then that's not good for you. But like, I, I don't think people read that way. I don't think people consume stories that way. Um, I do think there is a healthy place in the genre space for both dystopias as grim and bleak as, as they can be and utopias. I, I agree that maybe utopias have been underserved. Um, but we're seeing a resurgence of them. I like to see them in the market, but I don't think that they need to necessarily re replace dystopian fiction because um, both serve a, a role. And I know that's not maybe the most exciting uh, yeah. take on it, but that's that's genuinely how I feel. I do think that like the dystopian fantasy sets up nicely like freedom fighters and rebels and things like that. And people like to see underdogs overcome the big the big bads. Um, and that's a that's a you know style of storytelling that I do like and I do find you know often although it's the world is complicated our world is much more complicated than oh freedom fighters and good guys and bad guys and all that so but like, I mean like you look like, like the Handmaid's Tale is a great example of a dystopian novel yeah. that has had an awesome legacy that I think is is overall good and I think sometimes it can provide people with like a um, blueprint in the sense of like they hear something that makes them think of that book they read and they realize like okay, if I don't stop this now, it could lead to this extreme version of the future. Yeah, This is the same stuff that could lead to these certain places. Um, so I think dystopian can provide value in that sense of like, 
this is it can be cautionary right and this is totally. what could happen and that's a great example of one that that like the bad guys are clear and the good guys are also very clear like for obvious reasons um and i was just like in, in drawing parallels to our own world it's interesting how like a freedom fighter is a freedom fighter until they're a terrorist in in the you know global uh sort of yeah. consciousness like however that, that that comes down is like based on a matter of perspective and it's interesting to think of it that way so i think next up let's jump into the story uh because suzanne collins definitely was thinking about a lot of this as she came uh, came up with the story and developed it before we do i want to do a little bit of housekeeping we are coming up on our final quarterly project of the year where our community votes for a project for us to cover i just want to get a couple of dates out here uh so we have a suggestion period between now and um, the 23rd, which is Thanksgiving. So between now and Thanksgiving, go on our Patreon, comment the name of a adaptation you want us to cover, and um, make sure to like the comment, because I'm, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna count the total number of likes per suggestion. If you see other suggestions on the list that you like, maybe like those as well. After that period is over and we have all those suggestions in, I'm gonna take the top four vote earners and put it in a dedicated poll on our Patreon, and that will run up until the end of November, so the 30th. Um, and then at that point, we'll have a selection for what will be our finally quarterly project, and we'll be able to announce it during the Hunger Games movie episode, which will come out that week. But let's get into the bio of Suzanne Collins. So Suzanne Collins is born in 1962. She's an American author and television writer, best known for her young adult dystopian book series, The Hunger Games. She was uh, born in Hartford, Connecticut, and her father was in the US Air Force, and he served in the Korean and Vietnam Wars. Um, she has early memories of him fighting in these wars and her learning about it on TV and being quite worried for him. She would go on to study uh, arts. She was a theater arts major. She has an MFA that she got from the New York University Tisch School of the Arts. Um, but she really began her career as a writer in 1991 when she started writing for children's television shows. Uh, she worked on Nickelodeon, including shows like Clarissa Explains It All, the Mystery Files of Shelby Woo, Little Bear, Oswald, Wow Wow, Wubsy. A lot of stuff I haven't heard of, honestly. <laughs> um, but she was also the head writer for a PBS spinoff, uh, Clifford's Puppy Days. So remember the Clifford the Bed Red, Big Red Dog? It was about the puppy days. Cool. Um, she even got a, a Writers Guild of America nomination for, uh, for co-writing the critically acclaimed 2001 Christmas special, Santa Baby. Um, so... She had like a little bit of a, of a TV career going and then she shifts over to books and she starts writing these children's fantasy novels called Gregor the Overlander. She based those books basically on the idea of Alice in Wonderland, but she wanted instead of going through a little door, she wanted to go through a manhole and go to this like port. It's like a portal fantasy. Yeah. Um, secondary world. She published five of these books. Um, so she was actually fairly established, uh, had some success with those had this career writing fan, uh, writing TV. And then somewhere around 2006, she remembers laying in bed, watching TV, and flipping the ch between the channels. And she was flipping between these reality shows, like Survivor, this was the dawn, like when these were really big, right? All these different reality shows. And it would, she'd be flipping and she'd go between those and news, or it was updates about the war in Iraq and everything that was going on there. And she, she thought just the juxtaposition of those two things was so striking. That was where the idea for the Hunger Games took took root for her. Um, and she started developing this idea. Um, she is a big fan of Greek mythology. And she says that the myth of Theseus um, and uh, 
you know, the idea that uh, a bunch of people were put in the labyrinth and the, the Minotaur was there. That was a big influence on it. Um, and then, of course, like the gladiatorial ar arenas. Um, she says all of that was an influence. She was looking at reality TV and, and she wanted to talk about um, this idea of a just the just war. In an interview with the New York Times, she said the just war theory has evolved over thousands of years in an attempt to define what circumstances give you the moral right to wage war and what is acceptable behavior within that war and its aftermath. The why and the how. It helps differentiate between what's considered a necessary and unnecessary war. In the Hunger Games trilogy, the districts rebel against their own government because of its corruption. The citizens of the districts have no basic human rights and are treated as slave labor and are subjugated to the Hunger Games annually. I believe the majority of today's audience would define that as grounds for revolution. They have just cause, but the nature of the conflict raises a lot of questions. Do the districts have the authority to wage war? What is their chance of success? How does the reemergence of District 13 alter the situation? When we enter the story, Panem is a powder keg and Katniss is the spark. So clearly she has all these designs on like a bigger story she wants to tell. You could argue not a lot of that is is present in the first book other than a lot of the like setting the stage for that that would yeah. come later in the trilogy. Now that you say that, I totally pick up on that. And that's like kind of what I was talking about with this like commentary on these these people that are just like so lavish and they're living these lives of like blissful. I don't know if they're unaware. I think at some point we we learn that quite a few of them are aware and are just like living subjugating others like they, they're fine with it if it means that they have a better life I, it's interesting to start talking about audiences and audiences reading this because from what i remember these stories had sort this this first book hit really hard and then the movie hit and it just became this global phenomenon and i think interest in the series waned as it went on maybe i'm wrong on that i need to look at some numbers and like really dig into yeah. that and think, maybe when we get to the movies we can talk about that because viewership might be a good read on that and that's really interesting because it's almost like the spectacle of the hunger games is what brought people in this premise and then they stuck yes. around for that and then we're less interested in the overthrowing of this corrupt you know uh machine yeah. that was there i think there's some accuracy to that um so i i wanted to introduce all of these things that suzanne collins has said we're behind her coming with the idea we're developing this um, and then I want to get to the Battle Royale controversy. So people online have noted that there's this novel uh, called Battle Royale by uh, Koshin Takami. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, it came out in 1999. And it tells the story of junior high students who are forced to fight to the death uh, in a program run by a fictional fascist totalitarian Japanese government known as the Republic of Greater East Asia. It's a dystopian novel set in a world where uh, Japan, uh, the, the fascist governor of Japan, uh, succeeded in World War II and took over. And yeah. there's a lot of lessons that I think are trying to be imparted, but at the, underneath it all, there's this setup of this game. It's televised. There's former winners are the mentors. There's a lot of similarities. There's even a romance between two characters. Um, it's a bunch of young people fighting to the death. People noted, the, like, this is really fucking similar. I, I remember. It came out before. I remember how big this was like yeah. this was a huge deal like because uh, I, I know it from the film like I remember seeing the yeah. Battle Royale film and, and people were, would come out of the movie and be like I just I would rather watch Battle Royale especially a certain yeah. demographic of people. I think that's key certain yeah. demographic but let's let's continue. So the English translation of that novel comes out in 2003. So only a few years before Suzanne Collins would begin writing uh, The Hunger Games. I think the movie um, came out before that. The movie was quickly adapted the year 2000. Um, however, from my from what I could find in my research, there was no legal 
American version of Battle Royale, like, like available to watch legally in America until to, to, until 2012. Oh, wow. It's not impossible that she could have found the movie. It seems unlikely. If the possibility exists that she could have seen it, the possibility is probably stronger that she could have read it. Um, but, the, the, you know, like I said, a few years existed where there was a translation available. Um, but just because something is available doesn't mean someone necessarily read it or knows about it. She was writing another series at the time. Clearly, she was she was busy. To her defense, what she has said is that she did not become aware of its existence till after she turned the book into her editors. Um, after that point in time, it came to her to her awareness as, as a thing that existed. And whether or not that influenced anything about the book and its production process and its editorial process, I don't know. I don't, I don't think she's ever truly revealed other than to say it didn't. Just to jump in here too, the idea that her story is that similar, because I've seen, I've seen Battle Royale, I've seen Hunger Games. Yep, I've the also idea seen of young people being forced to fight is not unique to those two stories either. It's not. One Stephen King wrote a book called The Long Walk, where, which has a lot of similarities. Also, The Running Man has a lot of similarities. Um, yes, this isn't a completely new idea. But what happened was uh, you also have someone like Quentin Tarantino goes on Jimmy Kimmel and he's talking about the Hunger Games and he calls it a ripoff of Battle Royale. Um, so this throws some fuel on the fire. That um, sounds like him. <laughs> is it, yeah. Tarantino is a big fan of these of, of Battle Royale. He ends up casting one of the main characters in it to be in Kill Bill, right? Like he, he's a big fan. Yeah. And I think this is what happens, right? A lot of people see Battle Royale and they see it as like a, a darker, bloodier, more over-the-top version. It's, it's more morally gray. Um, it's not as simple as you can maybe read Hunger Games in some ways. It's kind of designed for dudes, uh, if I were to put it plainly. And so I think a lot of people on the internet latched onto it. It's kind of a cult thing too, right? Like it doesn't have that mainstream success. Um, so a lot of people latch onto it. And I think there's a lot of very adamant people who love Battle Royale, which uh, admittedly, I watched the movie. And I thought it was very good. It's something we could cover in the future. It would be fun yeah. to do. I haven't seen it since I, the, the initial time I saw it, but I remember liking it as well. Yeah, so it's good. I, I just think that there was a certain attitude that it was like, we need to take down Hunger Games and establish that Battle Royale is, is the one that people should be excited about. For American audiences, for Battle Royale to come out in 2012 lines up perfectly with Hunger Games. So both both were like available to Americans at the same time. So that's probably why they were pitted against each other as well. There was going to be an American film adaptation of Battle Royale that was set to come out. Um, but then in April 2007, um, the Virginia Tech sh shooting happens and it kind of the talks about this cool off and they're like maybe this isn't the best time for this um and then it kind of started to come up again but then after hunger games does so well it was kind of seen as like a lot of people are going to look at this and think it ripped off hunger games so because of that i think there's a lot of frustration that the reverse is now a perception that could be true and people could be looking at battle royale and be like oh that's just a rip off of the hunger games and that possibility i think pissed people off um and because of that this this american version never really happened um whether or not i think that's a good thing i don't know that's debatable right because just i don't know I, these american remakes of foreign films is not always 
you know, something that I think needs to be done. So agreed. Very rarely am I like, oh, did you see the American version? It's usually like they they yeah. see that it was done well in another culture, and then they're like, let's Americanize it and make some money on it. And you know, Fincher did it with uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I think, to you know, success to a great success. I think people like that movie. But then there's yeah. for for that there's plenty of others. Like Old Boy, a Korean film, was was turned into an American uh, version, and it's not you know watch the korean version you know i think that's that's the lesson is like just ultimately you'd probably be seeking out the original japanese version anyway um and with through this whole conversation i just feel like my my opinion on this is both can exist and yeah. i think it's weird that um it's like it, people are so passionate about joining a club and and like tearing yeah. something down or being or, or liking something and at some point it's like if it's not for you it's not for you if it is it is and and like yeah. uh no need to, you know, piss on anybody else's yeah. fucking parade. <laughs> and what's funny is even even if she was inspired by Battle Royale, like she didn't like plagiarize it. There's just some similarities in the ideas. And like if you, you can lay out, there's a bunch of similarities, but there's a, lot, a ton of things that are very dissimilar about the two. So let's move on from it. I know it's got, it's a controversy. Um, to me, it's, it's one of those where I, I honestly think she developed it in a similar way um that you know the author of battle royale developed his novel like it's there is a lot of this stuff already out there and they're writing them at similar times sometimes these things happen there's parallel thinking if we're talking about a a a man writes this story and it's four men then it's an influence then she would have been influenced by battle royale and she she would have been doing her own version on that style of story but instead it was just like a it there was it was binary it was no it was she plagiarized so i don't understand that squid game i think is a guy um has said that like battle royale was a huge influence on squid game so this kind of stuff happens all the time but anyway let's move on from that i just wanted to note it it is a big thing that you'll see whenever you look at hunger games online i I feel like you find somebody talking about battle royale this series goes on to be hugely popular sells 100 million copies something like that it's being listed in like the top 100 most influential novels of all time um, you got Stephen King weighing in on it. First, it seems like he was a fan. He talked about his breakneck pace and how, you know, he couldn't put it down. A few years later, he comes out saying that it's not really, it's kind of forgettable. He wasn't, he wasn't compelled to read on further. And um, he he kind of dissed the book. It's interesting. I don't know why the change. You've got, um, you know, John Green talking, you know, giving it a blurb. You've got some of the biggest names giving it blurbs. The author of Twilight's giving it a blurb. So um, it's one of those books that just, you know, catches on fire uh, and um, everybody loves it. And uh, we get this massive film adaptation that comes out and does incredibly well. So it's one of those where everybody's making money. So everybody has an opinion about it. And there's lots of ink being spilled about it. It's interesting when something like this is such a massive cultural phenomenon and I feel like it went away so quickly. Like I felt like it was like a five year just in it was burning so bright for five years and then like there was nothing. And then the reason we're covering it now yep. is that there's actually a book that was written in 2020 that is being adapted that's coming out in theaters like this week, basically, or the next yeah. week. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of fun to think of 10 years go by and you get to revisit a st- some stories like this. Full transparency. I don't remember if I finished this story, so I don't know that I even know where we end up with the story. The trilogy, you mean? The trilogy, yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said before, it seems like people who got, were less interested. Is that due to the quality of the story or is that due to like maybe the nature of people just kind of falling off dystopian stories? I don't know. It, I think there's, again, a weird thing about like the spectacle of of the hunger games as an event and like oh they're killing each other in this this whole crazy game it's kind of like a 
saw you know so people come go watch saw movies for the fact that like you're gonna see some crazy stuff i can only then... i can only really speak for myself when it comes to this stuff because i also didn't finish the trilogy um it, it was interesting enough but like there was i felt sated by the end of this movie and by the end of this book and like i want to dig into that though during this yeah. reading did you feel the same way because i felt like no it you're right you're yeah. right it does it definitely leads a lot to like the taking down of the society but when I first approached the project, it was the spectacle. I wanted to see it. And then the idea that there was a dystopian society that needed to be overthrown. I was like, yeah, I, I get that. Um, I don't, I'm not as interested in that as this, this, the spectacle, but um, yeah, I, you know, I definitely have a little bit of an added, my, my attitude has shifted a little bit now, so we can touch on that. So the hunger games follow 16 year old Katniss Everdeen, a girl from district 12 who volunteers for the 74th hunger games in place of her younger sister, Primrose Everdeen. Also selected from district 12 is Pita Malark who once saved Katniss from starvation when they were children. They are mentored by their district's only living victor, Hamish Abernathy who won 24 years earlier and has since led a solitary life of alcoholism. Pita confesses his longtime secret love for Katniss in a televised interview prior to the games. This revolution stuns Katniss, who usually does not allow herself to think of romantic attraction due to her traumatic childhood and her fear of losing future children to the Hunger Games. However, she believes that Pita is only feigning love for her as a tactic for the games. I want to know, how did you feel reading this book uh, for, you know, for the second time? I'm just going to say for the whole book... I enjoyed reading this. I enjoyed sitting down with it. It was it like maybe like Stephen King even said, it's it's it just goes. The plot goes. It keeps you sucked in. It's almost like a thriller in that way. Once the games begin, you know, that's basically one sitting of reading for me. Um, and I just I like the premise. I like the world that's built up. I like the the all these characters have these skills because of the situations that they're in. Like they've you know, there's these people who are basically have been bred to compete in this competition. But you see Katniss here with Gail and Peta and a lot of these other people. They have these skills that they've been forced to acquire based on their, their lifestyle, like Katniss with her hunting, um, that make them very capable and, and fun and interesting. They're kind of forced to grow up really quickly, but then they're also going through relatable uh, things that you go through at that age, like figuring out what it's like to to be in love or to to start liking someone, um, and or, or and realizing that other people may be interested in you. So, yeah, I mean, just reading through it, I, there's tropes galore. I think there's that like everyone's willing to address that, but if you're okay with that, it's just a fun read. I like a lot of the stuff that they do with uh, her motivations, like her relationship with her sister, her her relationship to her family and the way that her they've lost her father and she's kind of had to step up and she kind of snapped her mother back to some sense of, of uh, you know, being there for the family. And, and then the ways that she's kind of addressing that in the games, that she's realizing like how much trauma and stuff she's been kind of pushing down and, and suppressing while trying to provide for this family. When she's out there, she I think it's interesting that she'll kind of flash back and think about some of this stuff. I was struck by how propulsive a read this is. Um, you know, we've I've read a lot of different kinds of books now on, on this podcast, and um, I wouldn't say I'm always drawn to the, like, super fast-paced thrillers, you know, to stuff that just you can't put it down. Um, there is a certain magic to those kind of books, um, and there's definitely here. Um, it's, gosh, this is an easy read. And by the sense, and, and like, in a good way. Like, if you, <laughs> if you feel like, oh, man, I haven't read a book this year, and you want to knock one out real quick, Hunger Games. You read this thing quick. 
Um, yeah. it, because it's so well crafted, so well plotted. Um, the characters are immediately identifiable. They differentiate. Their their motivations are simple and clear. Um, you are it it, it is uh, it appeals to your emotions. Um, there's all these great things. You're in a, in a clearly dystopic society where there's clearly a lot of oppression and bullshit going on, and it gives you someone to be mad about. Um, and then that's all before you even get into the games. Um, but in this opening chapter, what a brilliant opening chapter um, leads up to the selection of of uh, her beloved sister and her, and Katniss volunteering in her place as tribute. What a great way to end a first chapter, right? Like it, it, that's uh, that's going to catch some attention. Yeah. And um, I, you know, it reminded me a little bit of there's a, a story called The Lottery that Shirley Jackson wrote that uh, that I read recently, and I was like, I wonder if it's a little bit to do with that. But um, there are tropes, like you said, there's there's become hallmarks of the genre. This is written in first person present tense, which became kind of like a, a a popular fad in YA, and I don't know if it's like this was part of that or or like started it or was just kind of like right in the middle of it i don't know it, it became a thing for a while where a lot of these ya novels were written in this first person present and at times i do find that that pov and that style of writing to be a little restrictive but i think it also on the other hand pays off well in the sense of it keeps it it that pace and that 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 propulsion i think um feeds on that style of writing is that something yeah. you found yourself noticing that first person present and, and how did you feel about it i did and i was thinking about i was like i wonder i'm just not well read enough to to know when somebody's doing it if it's abnormal like in a ya space i was it's like somewhat is, it was somewhat abnormal yeah and this uh i think the first person does a lot of heavy lifting here too for that relatability factor for those young audiences or, or people just that really anyone who wants to read ya I yeah. think that they want to relate to these characters in ways and getting the I'm feeling this way. I am thinking this is it's you're so close to that perspective. Yeah. Some people view it as almost gimmicky because it's 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 a somewhat unnatural way to tell a story to narrate events as they're happening. Right. Like it's kind of like, how is that possible? But the effect, I think, is is pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, you do lose a little bit. I think you could analyze uh, things that are lost in the form, but um, I think it works pretty well here. I didn't find it offensive, whereas um, some people do. Some people really bounce off of it. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I didn't find it. I, I don't know that it's my preferred perspective in a fantasy story like this, but it works for me here. And um, you keep yeah, saying I, fantasy, but I just want to I want to check with you. Are you calling it fantasy because it's dystopian and because it's in the future? Because a lot of people would say this is a YA sci-fi. I guess that's true. It is it is yeah. our world too. So it's kind of like Yeah, a, future future North America is yeah. is my understanding of what fantasy. I guess is. yeah, I shouldn't have been calling it that. Good good catch there. Uh Yeah. Yeah, I'll just call it dystopian sci-fi, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah, sci-fi. Yeah. Um I want to talk about some of the characters too. Like uh, granted this whole Peter Gale Katniss love triangle I think it can be very um, attractive for that that audience. Um, as as it goes on, I felt so bad for Peta, man. I just you're talking about within the context of this book. This book here, yeah. As it goes on, Katniss is like not even aware of its existence, and oblivious then she is. in a way that I think is almost unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then oh, the she whole, just she's... continues to not see that this is genuine from him. Yeah. And she she's obviously thinking of Gail because she's grown up with that person. They're very close. I mean, it's it's it, honestly as far as love triangles go, it's I'm fine with it. I like it. It's yeah. not like an offensive love triangle where it just feels super super forced. 
um especially in this book i i didn't feel now we don't get a ton of gale either so there's that yeah that, and and that's fair you know like i i don't know much about gale i haven't read on I, I barely i think i saw the sequel to the movie but i don't remember it very well um and, and honestly i think my the fact that i wasn't as taken with the second movie is probably what stopped me from going on with this series but yeah. just real quick talking about the love triangles i think this is actually a really good one um i think gale and and pita represent different such different kinds of people like Gale is so similar to Katniss and what we hear about him at least is he's a hunter he's you know he's he's very he's very capable he's masculine he's violent um he's a fighter much like Katniss um whereas Peta is not that like he's much more of this like diplomatic guy he's a baker like he's he he has strength to him of course but like he's not a violent fighter kind of guy um, he's a he's very not different experience kind of in that realm either. Like, it's like he can wrestle, I guess, but he's not like a hunter and survivalist. Yeah. And he ends up playing this much more of a support role for her. He seems genuine. Um, and you know, he becomes a figure that like I'm rooting for and I, I feel for, and I, I think that's a powerful way to write a story. And, and the whole conceit that she thinks he's acting it up. She's kind of acting it out herself, but then also starts to kind of fall for him for real. But the whole time is thinking that this is all an act and that he doesn't actually believe it. Um, yeah, maybe it's a little obvious and a little dramatic, but like in the context of the games and the idea that like if you play up the romance, you're going to appeal to the audience. And so there's a clear incentive to do that. It works. And ultimately, it's one of the things that keeps this book so propulsive because as much as you're enjoying the spectacle and all that stuff, like the, the dynamic between the two of them is really engaging. It is. Yeah. And then there's all these big characters too, like Effie Trinket and uh, the Caesar Flickerman, these like larger than life characters that are from the capital, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, They're just like joke characters that slowly, I think that she's doing a good job of like adding a little bit of little bits of humanity, but then like, yeah, little bits of no, they're completely they've completely drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I mean, like you, you can definitely argue that like some of the people on her team, she does a good job of like, yeah, they're kind of awful, but like they there's a little bit of humanity still in there. Yeah. Um, You know, think about like, Effie is a good example of that, where like she's she's so ridiculous, but she kind of cares in her way. And then you look at someone like um, what was his name? Cinna, uh, sort of her uh, who puts her in the dress, uh, the, Wardrobe, the fiery yeah. dress and what, you know, clearly someone who cares um about yeah. her um, he's a really cool and, character i like him yeah and then haymitch um like maybe my favorite character sure haymitch. he fit he fits the the bill of the mentor archetype character in these yeah. stories perfectly perfectly well but i love the way that you know he's like I, i'm a sucker for a character like this like he seems like he's a drunk buffoon but actually he's quite wise yep. and it takes a little while for him to like recognize that there's something here that he needs to actually care about because he's been burned so many times in the past. Like he's, he's cared about other people who die and his way of not doing it, it makes total sense. And then, you know, throughout the book, the, the respect you have for Hamish, I think grows over time. Right. And like the way that he, he's able to strategically manipulate things. Um, it's clear that he didn't survive his, his hunger games by accident. He's, he's yeah. very calculating and even some of the drunk stuff he might be playing up 
Yeah, and, you wonder that too later. Yeah, it's like, was that all on purpose to like downplay the rebellious nature of this moment and he's drawing attention away from it and get providing comic relief so that people don't get punished? Yeah, you can almost see that as all strategic. And Katniss even says later in the book, she's like, I, I he must have won by outsmarting everybody. Yeah. Um and and so you love a character like that, right? Like he he's he's very he's very strategic. He fully understands the situation and what's going to work for them. Um I, I, yeah, I absolutely love Haymitch, and and I I remember he was a standout in the movie as well as I think Woody Harrelson. So yeah, uh, excited to get into that performance when we get there. <laughs> well, and so we've talked about all these other characters, but to talk about Katniss because again, divisive c- character. I think because of the nature of it being uh, like sort of wish fulfillment character for women in some ways. Yeah, but I I've always liked this character. I always felt like she's she's so strong and she's so capable, and yet she does tap into that emotion. And and at first she's uh resistant to it she she's had to build up these walls in her life because of the scenario and everything that she's had to grow up and do but as she comes into contact with characters like rue and um you know Peta, her relationship with Peta, and even uh this other character um that saves her at the end um i'm forgetting his name right now the other guy from district 11. thresh is that his name something like that yeah i i like seeing that she's like not this like cold monster that's just like out there killing things like she's talked about she can be as a hunter um and and sort of grappling with all that and then obviously like the symbol that she's kind of becoming for for everyone and that stuff with rue will get there i think is some of the strongest in the book yeah so just real quick on katniss i I agree i think she's a great character i think uh she is the, the only controversy around her is the same controversy you see whenever there is a quote unquote mary sue because people, for whatever reason, are fine when it's a dude who, uh, you know, is good at everything and capable and and smart and caring and like fits, you know, just checks every box and just, uh, you know, a character that everybody wants to be. But when a woman does that, it's a problem. Um, so it's I think that there's a lot of sexism and bullshit built up into that. She's a great character. Yes, she's is she a wish fulfillment character? Yes. Is that a kind of storytelling that will continue to be popular forever? I think so. Yeah. We're always going to like characters like this. Yeah. Um, also, you know, aspirational archery, characters. Yeah, and also archery is badass. Like, I think that I'm sure archery, like people taking archery lessons just skyrocketed after this character became popular. Oh, I guarantee it did. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think there's a lot in here, too, you know, you can look at that that are smart moments of wish fulfillment that are fun. Like the dress moment is brilliant. And the idea of her being this like stunningly beautiful figure and this crazy fiery dress. And it's also like an act of rebellion. And it's, you know, all of that is so cool. And and I think it's it's there's all these moments that sure they might be tropey and sure they might be wish fulfillment, but it's okay. And you're in you're writing in a genre like a lot of those criticisms are about this genre, but like let it go. This is what the genre is. Right. And this is what people like. This is what people are here for. And she's delivering on it. And I think she does a great job with it. I've always loved that, the, the you know, the catching fire, the girl on fire. She's the spark of this rebellion, everything like yeah. that. And then the, she's from the district of coal. And like they talk about their their costumes up to that point have always been like dingy yeah. and coal or they're like naked, covered in coal, like all yeah. this kind of stuff. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, Sin is the first person to just th- think that like what is what is coal often associated with and do fire. Yeah. And then how well he's developed this this fake fire stuff that and that's why he's able to do it. Yeah, um, but it's awesome. Theory. It's very cool. It's like awesome. Well, let's get to it. So after all of that, all that build up, we're in the arena. 
So in the arena, Peta saves Katniss's life multiple times without her realizing it. Katniss allies with Rue, a young tribute from District 11 who reminds Katniss of her sister. When Rue is killed, Katniss places flowers around her body as an act of defiance towards the capital. Remaining tributes are alerted to a rule change, allowing tributes from the same district to win as a team. Katniss finds a seriously wounded Peta, and rather than compete alone and be unencumbered by him, she risks her life and nurses him back to health. Hamish advises her to feign feelings for Peta in order to gain wealthy sponsors who can provide crucial supplies to the star-crossed lovers during the game. As she allows herself to get close to Peta, she develops real feelings for him. Just from the jump, the whole thing with the um, the cornucopia, mm-hmm. and they all pop up, and then like the the whole idea of like the bloodbath of the cornucopia—that's where all the supplies are. It's so twisted, and also just so exciting. And the the you know the it's such a, a interesting psychological moment too of like. Do you try for something, you know, knowing the risk, or do you completely get away and, and live in, to fight another day, but have nothing and have no supplies? I think it depends. And like, we're just going to gamify this whole thing now, right? Yeah. I think it depends. If you're going into the games, you need to know your level of survival training and your level of like, what are the things that are going to be important to you? And how long does it, I think it's like three weeks or something like that, or two, two over two weeks that they're in here. And so I'm like, that's that's how you weigh that risk reward is like if you think you can survive like if i'm katniss yeah i'm out of there immediately no question but but she she goes for some stuff which is you know kind (laughs) of maybe a blunder is trying to tell her not to and but she goes for it anyway but there's other characters where i'm like if i'm Peta and i'm like he's not a server he doesn't have the skills i understand why he he and he played the games pretty smart too the way that he teamed up with some of those career risks or whatever they're called uh, yeah, the the careers I think is just careers. Yeah, yeah, from the other districts where it's like an honor to go fight in it, and people like train their whole lives to go fight in it. Right, and so so for him to team up with them, and and he can keep an eye on them so that uh, Katniss is safe, and then also, you know, get access to some of that food and the, some of the supplies is really smart. Because um, again, what, you, it's a, not a, like a, you, these people don't choose to be here; they're lottery systemed into it. So it's like. It's not like you're trained if you're not training your whole life leading up to this, then, you know, you might have to figure out some risky stuff to survive out here. It immediately sets up this very interesting dynamic. And this is totally present in Battle Royale, where the thing you're watching is so fucked up and brutal and violent. And it is a satire of reality TV. It is a condemnation of this kind of entertainment. And you're enjoying it as a reader because only because there's like this element of it's not actually happening to real people. It's fiction. Right. So I think that's why we're able to enjoy it. But I, you can't help but feel a little guilty, at least I couldn't at times, for how enjoyable it is and how and how fun it is to 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 get caught up in the games yeah. when they're clearly, you know, highly unfair, unethical, awful yeah. situations. Th- this world is so accustomed to death and and this kind of like murdering that's going on. So you see these characters and, and they're like, Katniss does have a moment of being like, well, that was the first person I ever killed. But every single one of them is coming into the games and they're like, yeah, I'm going to fucking kill some people. And like that, that I'm glad that it's addressed in some way, but like that it takes obviously like certain things, motivations pushing you to do that. But at the same time, all these people are psychos, dude. Like they're all yeah. just like going in re- willing and ready to kill people. The underlying structure of the games are just so brutal. Everything about it is designed like, you know, the whole idea of the cornucopia and like fucking like 12 people die on the first day. Like, and yeah. that's the standard. Um, that's 
crazy, but also like you could see it in this situation, like it would probably play out that way. Um, and then the idea of the game designers and the people who are like running the game and how they constantly like people get bored. And so you're trying yeah. to like, you're like, oh, there's not a lot has happened today. So we're going to, you know, create a fire or we're going to, you know, release some, you know, wild animals or whatever. We're going to yeah. push them and push them towards each other so that they'll fight. Yeah. And it'd be different if it was like if nobody's watching and things are just meant to play out, you as the reader and as the viewer for the movie, you would think, OK, I'm just going to do what PETA does before he gets hurt and go hide and just hide out the whole time. But they're going to see that you're doing that and they're going to send yeah. fucking fire your way or these yeah. fucking mutant dogs. They force you to play the game, essentially. Right. Like, you know, they for they force you into it. Once you get into the games, like you said, like you, you I think I did read this in one. Like, this yeah. is the stuff that you just fly. Through. And it's like half the book. So it's not yeah. like it's a small and it's, you know. I don't know how many pages it is, but it's not a small book, but it's so propulsive. I do want to address what you're talking about before that, that this gladiatorial fascination that we have as people. It's fucked up, man. Feeling bad about it makes sense. But at the same time, like you're like, how is, you know, how is so and so going to kill this person? And she smartly brings up the idea of like, well, if you make friends with anybody else, at some point, they're going to have to come up against each other and kill each other. I don't know what that is in humans. And like, it's that animal side of our brains that People love seeing this, but I, I yeah. do think that some people went and saw Hunger Games and were like, I just love when they kill each other and like yeah. that's, or, or read it. And that's like what they walk away with is I love the parts where they kill each other. Sure. Interesting and and I guarantee there are a lot there. of people who like Battle Royale for the same reason. I think there is definitely a huge chunk of the audience who's engaging with it on the level of it being a dystopia and it being awful. But also they're kind of there for the spectacle, too. Yeah. Um, and I think because it's fiction, I, I personally think it's okay. I don't think we need to feel that guilty about it. Um, but I think it's okay to also be a little bit uncomfortable with it and to, and to like analyze like where is this coming from? Well, it's I the same that. thing that we do with horror movies too. Like I'm not saying anything bad against it either. I'm just saying yeah. it's a weird thing in our brain. Like why is that entertaining to us? Yeah, I don't know. Fair question, I, I guess. Um, let's talk about Rue a little bit. So Rue is set up to be this like cute, sweet girl who befriends Katniss, who's like jumping around through the trees. She's clever. Um, she's very similar to Prim. Um, and they set up this sweet relationship between the two of them. And then she dies. And it's a gut punch. It's sad. She, um, I thought it was very sweet the way it plays out with their, her whole district sending the loaf of bread to her. And that's something that she knows Hamish has had to okay. Um, and it's it's because she showed such respect for her. They had had this little alliance for a while. And then the the whole idea of doing the doing the flowers is like an act of rebellion, singing the song. I thought this is all incredibly effective. Yeah, it's maybe very kind of heavy handed at times, but like, man, damn, if I didn't get teared up listening to it. Yeah, it's a sad moment. Um, it's powerful. And uh, something like that, you know, it's 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 fiction moving you. I'm not jaded enough you know, to be mad about that just because um, it's a little heavy handed at times. Like, I just want to feel stuff, man. I want to feel something sometimes. And I, I thought this was good. I thought it worked and it made me feel something. I'm with you. Yeah, it's it's the most effective part of the story to me. The parallel with Prim having having a parallel with her sister and then the character being wholly her own in ways, obviously, like they, they she draws attention to the ways that she's different than Prim. But um yeah, just like protecting someone like this in this in this bleak environment where you know that it's not going to end well. Um, it's it's like really compelling stuff. And clearly her death motivates Katniss, um, which is this interesting thing about like killing a character to motivate another one. Sure. 
But and you can same... analyze, you know, there's racial things going on. There's 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 lots of potentially troubling history with characters like this. Yeah. Um, and, and, and using them to motivate other characters and white white characters specifically. Um, sure, you can look at all of that. Um, <laughs> and that's fair. <laughs> yeah, but my point is just that I, I mean it's just sweet. At the end of the day, you see you see a character who you just can't help but love, you know, has a tragic end, and then and then to see Katniss sort of take that as a spark to make her yeah. motivated to then possibly over you know upheave this entire system, I think is is at least um, a good a good message. And, and, and the other thing I would say is like you get it on the ten. Like this is about a bunch of children being forced to fight each other and they're going to murder each other in, in in pretty brutal ways. Yeah. It's not maybe as brutal as battle Royale, but like, can we be that mad when some children get killed? <laughs> like, I mean, like ultimately that's kind of what we knew going in. Um, mm -hmm. that we were going to, we were going to see some of this stuff, but I, I will say it's also pretty bold of her to make this, make this choice. She had to know it was going to be a, a big controversial moment. Yeah. She could have not had this character involved in the story, right? And it could sure. have just been about Katniss and PETA, but instead having another district and seeing the ways that like they're, they're, kept apart from each other yeah. and how that is, you know, that's what these systems of oppression try to do is, is, you know, separate people, keep them apart, propaganda, all this kind of stuff that, that we're well, seeing. I kept unfolded. finding that I was thinking about the effect this has on the audience and not just the audience of the people of the capital, but all the people in all the other districts watching it, right? Like, so you're constantly thinking on this other level of like everything you're seeing is being watched and she keeps reminding us about these cameras. And so you're thinking like, this is going to be a powerful moment for people of, you know, these, these, these acts of rebellion. And you can see how it has like much greater impacts other than outside just the, the you know, moment to moment of the game. Um, but let's get into the final paragraph here. When all the other tributes are dead, the rule change is abruptly revoked. With neither willing to kill the other, Katniss comes up with a solution, a double suicide by eating poisonous berries. This forces the authorities to concede that they have both won the games just in time to save their lives. During and after the games, Katniss's genuine feelings for Peta grow, and she struggles to reconcile them with the fact that their relationship developed under duress. Hamish warns her that the danger is far from over. The authorities are furious at being made fools, and the only way to try and allay their anger is to continue to pretend that her actions were because of her love of Peta and nothing else. On the journey home, Peta is dismayed to learn of the deception. Um, so yeah, the, ending out the, the the book here as the games come to a finale, a big showdown. We get these like mutant dogs that get released that are like mutant versions of the other people that died. Um, and a pretty, again, there's a lot of brutality and just like horrific things that happen, like all the stuff with the wasps or whatever they were called that like sting people that seemed Track, really horrific. Tracker jacks. Tracker jacks. Yeah. yeah. And they, they all feel like engineered. This capital is set up to be so hateable. You're like, oh my God, they're so twisted and cruel. And the way that they're trying to do all this is like, there's always a message to it. Like a, like a boot on the neck kind of thing. Always like, yeah. we're going to keep you down no matter Assertions what. Assertions of control. And the whole thing with the like, oh, we're going to change the rules so that you two can win together. And then at the end, oh, actually, never mind. That's reversed. Kill each other. Um, it's such a perfect way to reestablish the fact that no, no, this is awful. The people controlling it are awful, and it takes their the double suicide pact to to get them out of it. And so I thought that was just a brilliant way to end the games. Honestly, like it, this this whole thing is so plotted uh, perfectly to a T to have have the right effect. And like I'm kind of curious to see how she does other Hunger Games this portion of the book in other books. So I know there are others. 
but this one is like so perfectly crafted. Yeah, this um, is it's hard one. to imagine her story, doing it better. Yeah, it's the story you wanted to tell, and then yeah. you have to figure out. You know, on a sequel, that's the problem: is you always got to do it again, but make it different and all. Make this it stuff. different. Have a different ending. Have a different yeah. message to tell. Yeah, sure. I love that. Like this young love, you're never gonna get away from Shakespeare. Like in storytelling, yeah. this young young love, Romeo and Juliet kind of thing, where like they're gonna poison themselves, and both die together. Now, that's not exactly what happens in Romeo and Juliet, but kind of you know there's there's poison involved at the in the finale and uh but but then obviously the the inverse happens here and it's just really smart again i like that katniss is kind of like haymitch in that way they're they're clever enough to outsmart this very powerful entity and they do feel powerful the capital feels ca powerful they feel cruel like i said and they feel capable like like yeah. you're you're not gonna weasel your way out of this and then somehow they always figure that that small window out these final chapters here at the end, I think do serve a really important purpose going forward in the rest of the trilogy of like this, they, she hasn't like done anything yet by, by getting out of these games and like the capital reasserts its control, reasserts its dominance, just even like trotting them out and forcing them to watch the games and they have to put on this performance, like they're enjoying it. And they're just like yeah. watching all these people die again. And some of these most horrific traumatizing like moments. an after show for reality shows too, right? Yeah. I really enjoyed reading this book again. I, I remember enjoying it the first time I read it. I loved it again. Um, I, I think this is, a, this is like one of the best YA books I've, I've read and it, it, it's up there for sure. I'd have to really think about it, but it's, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. I think I, I, my opinion on it had gone down over the years, you know, only that's on me. That's, that's the, my own, I guess, history with it. But reading it again, I'm just like reinvigorated with like, man, this is a solid story. It's really fun. It's yeah. really propulsive. It's like, it doesn't overstay its welcome here in this first book. Like it just, it does a lot of really fun stuff. And then, you know, getting this, getting into this adaptation here is going to be really interesting. Cause again, revisiting a, a, a specific time in adaptations of, of, uh, YA stories and specific, you know, that 2010 time period, somewhere before or after 2010. Um, and you get someone like a Jennifer Lawrence in the role. Yeah. And she just like makes it iconic. And uh, it's an iconic role for her. When I think of her, I often think of Katniss first. All right. So if you want to hear us talk about Hunger Games, the movie, uh, make sure to stay tuned for our next episode. I think we're actually taking one week off. So we're releasing something from the vault and then we'll be back the week after that with our Hunger Games film episode. Um, but if you enjoyed this coverage, if you enjoyed us talking about the book, let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever app you chose to listen on. If you're on YouTube, make sure to like the video and leave a comment and subscribe to our channel. Um, we would love to have you along for the journey. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, TikTok. We're all over the place. If you'd like to support this podcast in another way, we do have a Patreon. That's how you're going to be able to, to, to suggest things, to vote on upcoming projects. It's how you're also going to get all kinds of bonus content uh you know that, that we have like a big backlog of now on there um we'd love to have your support on patreon and thank you to ross bugden for the use of our intro and outro music all right man i'm looking forward to watching this movie i have a lot of fond memories of it but it's been a long time since i've seen it so i'm curious to see if it holds up and now that the book is fresh in my mind i want to see which one i ultimately do like better because i remember there was fondness for it but i feel like my respect for this book has risen a little bit so if the movie doesn't also rise, it might not win out on this one. This might be one where I say the book is better, but. This story feels very like harvest time because of the cornucopia. I think they usually oh, release around point. Thanksgiving. So it's cool that we're kind of covering it I right around I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I love that. Absolutely. All right. Uh, until next time. Keep adapting.